Welcome to the Loomer podcast that is London Underground Music Review. We are now audible and visual. Thanks for tuning in. This week on the pod, we have the band Motel Breakfast from the Midwestern United States. They're split between Chicago, Milwaukee, and Madison. They make lovely American folk rock music and recently put out their self-titled debut album in February and just fully released on Friday their Left on Deming EP, which was self-produced. Thank you guys for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, do you guys want to just introduce yourselves by name and then what your role in the band is? Uh, my name is Connor. I play the piano. And yep, that's about it. Um, and oh yeah, well I guess that's a we all kind of write songs, so I don't know. That's that's a title, but we also have Nick, who's not here. He is the lead guitar player. Jesse is the drummer. He might pop in at some point. Then I am Jimmy. I uh, do lead vocals and rhythm guitar. And then the other final member is Drew, who plays bass. How did you guys all meet and like start making music together? So it started, it's kind of pieced together in little increments. Like there was a first increment, me and Mick went to high school together. So at the end of like the back part of our senior year of high school, we became friends. We realized we were both like musicians and started to play together. We had a, a different band name then for a bit. Uh, it was a bad name. Terrible name. But uh, we knew the idea was we just wanted to play music. We met both Connor and Jesse the summer after that uh, because we're from the same neighborhood, but we had and we had like mutual friends, but we didn't uh, meet each other until we were like 18. Then over the course of the next couple of years, they had slowly started to play more with us, and we renamed ourselves to Motel Breakfast in 2017 before uh, putting out our debut EP as a foursome that year. And then in the year that followed, Drew met Mick at uh, college in UW-Madison, Wisconsin-Madison. And so they uh, started playing together and we invited Drew to play live with us because we didn't have a bass player playing with us. And he just fit well with us and was a natural addition to the group. Does the, is there a story behind the name Motel Breakfast, or is that just what you guys decided on? It was like a drunken night decision. We had like 15 <laughs> to 20 things, and everybody hated one of them. Like, <laughs> not, no, but like, like four people would like one, and then one person would hate it. So that was so just the we least were, hated. We're, yeah, name. we were gridlocked for a while. <laughs> well, I remember too, uh, I remember this, uh, so I went to uh, Ireland for a couple months that summer. And right before I left, I remember Motel Breakfast, we like said it and we were kind of like, I don't, I don't dislike that. What? Is that where it came from? Uh, well, it was before Ireland. And then I remember we said, let's not jump into it. Let's all chew on this. Cause like, we don't want to change our names multiple times. So yeah. let's make sure that we like this. And then a couple months later, we kind of touched base again, and we were like, I, we're Motel Breakfast, I guess, right? <laughs> Do you remember what some of the other, like, rejected names were? I wanted Father Connor and the Altar Boys, but... A little provocative. A bit too edgy for the other four. I think uh, one of my votes was Dad's on Vacation. Yeah, that was, that was a contender. <laughs> that was a contender more than it should have been. We... we tried to rule out names that start with the, just as a, a principle. There's just too many bands that start with the. 
like a cop out. Yeah, it felt lazy. I don't know. We, we probably were overthinking it too, but it was just like you know we're we're branding ourselves behind a name, and we have like the it's advantageous decision. Decision. Yeah. yeah, we have a single name that we know we hate right now, and so we can still hate that while we take our time and make sure we figure out the right name once we start releasing music. And that was Motel Breakfast. So, what has your favorite place um, been so far to like to play as a band, a venue, a city, a state? Polka bar. <laughs> um, we played a polka bar in Milwaukee. Four people. Favorite venue for me, probably High Noon. I really liked that's a mini saloon. That's in Madison. That all right? It's a cool venue. Favorite city, probably Chicago. We just have the most following in Chicago, so the crowd's always a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. Like Madison, a lot of people show up, but Chicago, it's buses of people. Like actual, actual, actual buses. Yeah, uh, yeah we got a, a pretty strong hometown crowd there that uh, really shows up for us. Like right before the pandemic, actually, I'd say probably my favorite show was this one where we sold out a 450-person uh, room. You know, the biggest show we had ever done yeah. to our hometown crowd. It was kind of a culmination, it felt like, in my mind, of these are the kinds of things you dream about when you're starting a band. And like, wow, we sold out an almost 500-person room. It's happening. At least like hour and a half of like setting up and you know having a couple beers to get a little loose before the show we were like guys we just hit 200 like that'll be fine with me i could die happy yeah and then at some point the guy who runs the, the venue was just like hey we're out of tickets and we were like no shit. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. yeah we all we all were very much underselling it we're like i i know i didn't like want to vocalize like what if we sell out because i was like i don't think it's gonna i don't want to jinx it if it happens it'd be great yeah that was that was a great way a great high to ride into the the pandemic on because that was february 28th so that that would probably be my favorite but the the small ones like the poke bar they end up being pretty fun because when we're playing to nobody we're just having fun with each other mm. we end up doing bizarre covers and yeah, you can just let your free had, flags fl fly. At those exactly. Shows. We had a good like five or six, well, maybe like five shows that Jesse didn't even have a drum kit. He sat on a cajon, which is just like a little box. Yeah. <laughs> he just sat basically on the floor behind the rest of us. <laughs> and he's like five, eight to begin with. He's a pretty short dude. So he, he pretty much wasn't in the band for, for a while. He just slapped a box and yelled along to the songs. <laughs> No, cajon's a, it's a real instrument. It's a it's a good instrument, and it doubles as a seat. So, right, the best yeah. instrument. We've been trying to get him to be more comfortable with it. We do like a uh, a couple different like bar crawl and house crawl things uh, every year, where it's just easier to be using acoustic instruments. And like obviously, you can't take a drum kit along with you. And right. so we keep trying to like he uses the cajon every year, but he's not happy about it. Uh, and we're like, dude, it sounds great. You get to sit on it. He's like, he's just not stoked about it. He wishes he had a better option. You're trying to get him a marching band. Uh, I got him as a harness last year, but we couldn't get his snare to fit to it. So ne next year, I'm going to have to get him the harness and the marching snare. But I don't know if he'll do it. I feel like he'll he'll put it on and then ditch like after two houses, seeing his back hurts or something. So you guys do like house shows? Oh yeah, house shows and like basement shows are kind of 
where we cut our teeth, I'd yeah. say, like, because we formed all while everyone was in college and it's hard enough to get a venue to pay attention to a band that they don't know, doesn't have a legitimate following or like any sort of resume to be like, we've played here or sold this many tickets last time we were in this town. So college shows were really all we did for a while. Uh, and I mean, we've, we've said so many times during this pandemic, like what I would do to be in a sweaty basement in a crappy college town. Yeah. Being, playing to a bunch of people that only care about the next cover we do but like it just Those there's an energy the fun shows though that's like one of my favorite shows i've been to is was a at a house show in ames iowa at this like institution called the record mill it was their last ever show because they got we were getting shut down but it was really awesome it was literally just a basement a very small basement and they'd padded up the walls and then it was like indie like midwest emo music so it was really loud just blasting oh, yeah. right in your face it was crazy. we actually speaking of iowa we played a basement show in davenport iowa uh with uh with like in that kind of like midwestern emo type of band is there anywhere you guys would ideally like to play someday like a dream venue or city you haven't been to yet i mean uh, i feel like i would like to play every city ever all of them yeah. <laughs> dealer's choice but like attainable I, I would like to play talia hall which is in chicago it's a pretty cool venue something like that. i don't know yeah i mean i think i mean i i'm at sounding uh just maybe it's trite or feels like the obvious answer to me something like red rocks in colorado okay yeah, like a, a perfect venue like i would that would be like a bucket list venue. I've attended a show there, and if I could play a show there, that would be phenomenal. I wouldn't care if we're like the openers, openers, opener. Yeah. Just if just to be there. three songs, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, what's the music scene like in your respective hometown areas, like Chicago, Milwaukee, Madison? So I've lived in Milwaukee now for six, going on seven years, I think because uh, I moved here for college and so I kind of I tried really hard to dig into whatever music scene I could find here because I, I didn't I wasn't aware of any sort of music scene and Chicago is kind of the big name in the Midwest but as I started to kind of dive in I was realizing that there is like a wealth of uh, music scene and music culture here there's a fantastic radio station here called 88.9 uh, Radio Milwaukee that does all sorts of wonderful things put on awesome concerts bring huge acts through and also like really small like really uh grassroots indie acts uh it's kind of uh because it's such a small city the the difficult part is milwaukee acts or people with milwaukee ties getting national exposure and staying in milwaukee like chicago is a scene that has chicago people blow up and they keep repping for Chicago and more Chicago people get there. But, you know, Milwaukee is a scene that has struggled to not have a real big act recently. Like in the 90s, the Violent Femmes are from uh, Milwaukee. And so they were pretty big. And that like put a spotlight on uh, Milwaukee. A lot of, uh, I was in a focus group actually at that radio station where we talked about this. But there was a guy that was like a lot of these uh, local bands during that era were seeing like legitimate like 
uh, growth because of the Violent Femmes success, people were like paying attention to Milwaukee. So like, I'd say it's a really vibrant scene, but it's just not really, well anyway, and then Madison, I'd say, Madison is a pretty, I'd say it's a, about similar, maybe uh, where they have a lot of strong, uh, they have a lot of artists, but people staying in Madison to be flagship Madison artists can be a difficult thing. Like I'm, I'm aware of even one of the major Madison bands that I've been following for a few years that recently moved to Chicago to try and like get more of a standing. So I think Madison and Milwaukee both suffer from that. And they're both bigger, like college band almost arenas. Yeah, I had no idea about Midwest emo or the type of music scene that I was walking into when I went to Iowa State in Ames, Iowa. But I've like, that's like where I got my start was the college radio station. And we had really cool bands come through that, that like Remo Drive, Rat Boys, like really good stuff. Oh, Rat Boys are uh, Southside Chicago people. Yeah, yeah. They're, from, they're, yeah. they're yeah. so good. That was the band that I actually saw in that basement show. They were like really the headliner of that basement show. Yeah. But yeah, it's crazy how um, you're, everyone's like close. You're close to like Minneapolis, Kansas City, Chicago, but there's actually a lot smaller music scenes in these cities like Des Moines, Ames, that people don't know about. And when you live there, though, you kind of get a feel for it. And it's like, feels like a cool like secret, <laughs> but it would be nice to have these bands get more national attention. Yeah, completely agree. And I mean, uh, even then to pave it over to Chicago's scene, there's like a larger Chicago scene that has bands like Whitney and Twin Peaks and people like Chance the Rapper that like put it on, but there's an even like that kind of niche community uh, is seen like in the south side of Chicago community we're from. You could kind of speak to what that is like. Um, there's probably, well, we did like a, we've got six or seven bands worth of people that are like friends of ours now because we're all from the same area. and. Most of the music is pretty, well, some of the music's pretty different. Pat, I would say, is kind of like pop punk. Mm -hmm. We've got a buddy, Pat Egan, who's kind of like pop punk. And then we've got like a country band that we play with that we've become friends South with. South City Revival. Bluegrass, uh, Coyote Riot. There's a, like just a bunch of uh, different people we've met. And so we put on like a festival at kind of like a, I don't know, it's, it's basically a bar, but it's massive and they have like five stages. And it was like an all day thing and like eight of us played, eight bands worth of us played. Just from that local South yeah. side. It's like a pocket of the Southwest side of Chicago. None of those bands are selling out venues like downtown or anything, but a lot of them are pretty successful. No, that but, sounds yeah. super cool though. Uh, you guys put that show on, like you put it together? I think it was a friend of ours Eddie, who is in a band called the Deadbolts that like initially started it. If we like had the idea and then he like put us in a group chat and was like, hey, I'm thinking of setting up a show at Bourbon Street. Yeah, it was a wild situation where we were talking about it would be great to put on a festival because we've kind of, as we started, had a hard time, like I said, getting booked at venues and whatnot. So we've kind of booked our own things 
And we were like, I don't know when we're going to get on a festival bill. Let's put a festival together. Before we even were able to go past that initial conversation, we got a text from Eddie in the Deadpool saying, hey, we're thinking of putting a festival together. That's super cool. Do you guys have a favorite uh, memory as a band so far? Mm. What are some good ones? Is there a favorite, favorite memory? Everybody shaved my head in January. That was really fun. We do a yearly trip to, to make our guitarist's cottage. Those are always very fun. It's in like southwestern Michigan, just like on oh, a lake. Oh, just somebody. And so we go, we go up it. as like okay. the, the, just the band and maybe one to three of our close friends and we'll uh, just spend a, a long weekend there hanging out and maybe we'll practice, maybe we'll play some music, maybe we'll, you know, whatever. We're just, That's we're cool. just like cutting out a long weekend for us to okay. hang out. Cocktails, you know. Band retreat? Yes. Yeah. I'm realizing how badly I explain that i'm used to just talking to people that know everybody i know (laughs) all right that was the first section of questions um jump into the most likely two or would you like to do the rating game first your call we'll do the rating game so just i'm gonna make i have a list of things just tell me whether you think they're over or underrated and that's the game hot cheetos under i'm sorry over over definitely overrated yeah uh, calling instead of texting. Under. Underrated big caller. But you know what I think is not talked about enough? Like, I text to uh, to set stuff up. I don't like casual texting as much. I text in the effort of, like, we're going to coordinate this. We're going to meet here. Right, if it's like a date, yeah. then you've got to. Yeah. yeah. It's good to have that written down. Beer pong. Uh, I feel like that's rated right where it should be. I'd agree with that because... Beer pong is right in the moment, and I would say it kind of depends on the people you spend time with. There are sure. there are friend groups that I've spent like a lot of time with in the past that maybe we were too into stuff like beer pong, and I would call that overrated at that point. We don't play beer pong much. No, I had fun with it. You have a party from kids like from a different school, and they've got all these crazy house rules you've never heard of, and you know, it can get pretty pretty heavy, but can be very fun in the right setting. Yeah. I just, I think it's overrated. I think there are better drinking games that are more fun. I think um, that Flip Cup is overrated. I, that's I another one. Yeah. There. I think Flip Cup is accurately rated. I think it's a blast and it's so like, uh, such a low ceiling to entry. It's and more just, of an adrenaline rush than beer pong. I feel like Flip Cup with the time yeah. crunch, you really, it, your heart gets pumping. Um, like, which makes you care about it more, I guess. For me, that's just like, hey, you want to be bloated for the rest of the night after three <laughs> games? Of- well, I'm always bloated. Just come, games come over to my, my world is what it is for me. Team building exercises, like the trust uh, balls and stuff. Underrated. I love, I love how awkward they are. I love it. Yeah. Not a fan. The awkwardness is what, what forges the friendships, you know? I almost um, feel like... Uh, are you familiar with the television show what we do in the shadows yeah the vampire one about vampires yeah so i feel like an energy vampire like colin robinson from the show how i really enjoy seeing how uncomfortable stuff like truth or like a a team building exercise can make people have you actually ever had to do a trust fall i don't think i ever have i think i have i we did a couple of radio like company retreats um (laughs) and i'm pretty sure we did stuff like that Light as a feather, stiff as a board. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. We actually did. No, we actually did. It was like you had to put one hand on a person and lift them up. 
It was crazy. Public speaking. Underrated. I love public speaking. Really? I agree with that. Underrated. Yeah. yeah, underrated. I think it gets too bad of a rap because the people that don't like it are loudly against it. Yeah. I can't wait to do a funeral eulogy. <laughs> that is, I'm waiting for the day. It is so you. What about, like, a best man speech? Like, something more genius. And that'll be fun. But I feel like everybody at a wedding is already in a good mood. It's so easy to, like, you could make a mediocre speech. People will think it's great because they're just, because love's in the air, you know? But a funeral eulogy, everybody's already sad. You gotta make them laugh. You make them cry with, like, a nice bittersweet memory. And you end with, like, a good quote that came from the person who just died. I got the whole whole formula. Who do you... (laughs) This might be a dicey question. Do you think you know who your first eulogy will be given for? I have a friend, Frank Murray, that said if he died before me, he said, will you do my eulogy? I said, okay. So eulogy is like the pinnacle of public speaking. For me, yeah. Yeah. Next question. (laughs) Uh, The books you had to read in high school. Underrated. Very underrated. Way underrated. Do you remember one of your favorites? Um, I had a teacher that only would assign books with like lots of death in them. So we read Cuckoo's Nest and and then there were none. Um Slaughterhouse Five. I really liked Slaughterhouse Five. I also really liked Moby Dick. I had a so I don't know if it would be my favorite, but something that I always remember well is I had a teacher. He also like minored in theater. Uh, and he would read in like different voices uh, to classes of high school men. <laughs> but uh, it played phenomenally. Like we read of Voice and Men, and he did like Lenny and George voices. It was it was great. It always sits with me. And he also I had him for like three of my four years of high school as my English teacher. We also both went to all boys Catholic schools, just for reference. Oh wow. It was like the normal thing in our area on the south side of Chicago. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't know that. I had to read Great Expectations by Charles Dickens, which is, I never actually read it. I failed all the checkup quizzes and I didn't even care. It was such a You didn't at least spark notes it? I did. The the teacher didn't ask questions that were on spark notes. It's a good teach. Yeah, he was. So, uh, camping. I think that's pretty overrated. What do you not want running water for? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I feel, campground that has I feel water. like it's accurately rated. I think there's merit to not liking it, and I think there's merit to loving it. And I feel like I sit in the middle. Well, okay. I feel like it's fine for like two days, two nights, maybe, maybe three men. But people who are like, oh, I'm going to Utah for a month, you're fucking nuts. Okay, last one of the rating game. Deep dish pizza. Uh, very over for me. Overrated. And that doesn't mean that I think they're bad. Right. I think that there's just too much hype put around them. Uh, and the analogy I would give to that, I got a lot of flack when I called this band overrated from some people, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I do not think that they're bad, but I think that there are way too many bros that are like, dude, you all love the Chili Peppers. They've been overly hyped but that does not mean they're bad they're just rated higher than they deserve exactly yeah so back to questions about music when did you all start making music individually like what drew you to uh this path do you remember you were probably the earliest um i was a band kid 
So I, I was there, I started playing the clarinet in sixth grade because we had one in the house. I, I'm not athletic whatsoever. So dog shit at sports. And my parents were like, well, you got to do something. You're not just going to come home and watch TV. So I was like, all right, what about music? I did clarinet and saxophone through high school. I, I picked up piano somewhere in that. That would have been performing. I don't know, making music. I think the first song I ever wrote was in, well, I, I remember it. It was at Eastern. So it would have been freshman year of college. Never saw the light of day. It was very, very bad. It was just awful. I the first was, one's I heartbroken. And it was so, I think I read it a month after I wrote it. And I was like, good God, I didn't know I could hate myself so much just a month after my previous self. Well, I started music. I'd never wanted to be, I thought about uh, joining band because I was like, this is kind of interesting. And I actually wanted to be a drummer for a while because I was really into the movie School of Rock, which I still am. Uh, great movie. Uh, and so I thought Freddie Jones was the coolest uh, yeah, love and I just wanted to be Freddie Jones and I wanted to drum, but I never got further than like just thinking about it because then I was like, wait, I don't want to be branded as a loser band kid. Never left my head. And it wasn't like I had any like hierarchy of like, I'm a cool kid. It was more like, I know I'm not a cool kid and I don't want to do myself any, <laughs> I just broke a bunch any of barriers. disfavors. Uh, so I didn't pick up an instrument until I remember being like, 16 and i mentioned in the car to my mom one day while we were listening to the radio i was like you know it would be pretty cool to play guitar and no one in my family plays anything uh but my mom like took note of that and called my bluff and then that christmas bought me an acoustic guitar and i was like oh cool but she didn't buy me any lessons or anything so i just kind of stared at it for a few months not knowing what to do uh and then slowly picked it up and fumbled into uh learning how to do cover songs and I think I was probably 18 when I wrote my first song I, I was definitely at Rita because I remember playing I was at Rita was the St. Rita is the high school I went to what was the first song you learned on guitar first song I learned on guitar that I was like oh cool this is sounding like the song was oh. Island in the Sun by Weezer yeah. mine was Wire by Mumford and Sons really nice upbeat uplifting song Next one is, what did you listen to growing up? Like, do you remember um, the first album you bought? Um, yes. I remember. <laughs> the first yeah. CD that I made the active choice to purchase was, drumroll please, <laughs> Thank Me Later by Drake. Nice. Mine was Tommy. That was the first CD you bought. Yeah, because my dad bought the greatest hits. I, rem I remember being at Best Buy, and I was probably going for, like, some stupid probably like crazy taxi or like some dumb video game and my dad saw crazy like the taxi Who's is not a thing. dumb video game i actually love That's it true. i was probably going good yeah. job calling him on that thank you it's really fun maybe i don't know what i would have been going for i was about to say ddr but that sh that game is also fantastic so it wasn't ddr but my dad saw this like on sale for eight bucks the who's greatest hits he bought it i don't know what eight i was young i don't i don't i'm not sure but i remember him saying like i'm gonna put it out of the car ride home and i was like i don't want to listen to it i just want to listen to b96 and listen to and listen to yeah by usher four times in one hour and he was like you're gonna like this and he like popped it in and bob o'reilly came on and i was blown away 
that I went and bought uh, whatever I just did. See, oh uh, yeah, you bought Tommy. So, and that's interesting because that was you like buying into something and your dad wasn't even the biggest Who fan. He just thought it was cool to buy. Um, I just was like, I remember one song by this band from the 70s. Like, yeah. why did I buy it? See, me getting into like, like pop and uh, pop rap and stuff like Drake was kind of a direct response to my parents raised me being super like surrounded by music. They're like huge music fans and just always music playing in the house, always stuff that like Van Morrison, Bruce Springsteen, John Hyatt, Bonnie Raitt, all these artists that I've come to love as I got further on. But it was almost like I knew these songs at the back of my hand to rebel. I, yeah, I kind of had to rebel and be like, but wait, what is this this pop music that all of the other kids listen to? So I remember like making the active choice in like seventh and eighth grade to really buy into the pop machine. What about first live performance, first concert? Coldplay, baby. <laughs> the United Center. I actually do like a lot of Coldplay. They, yeah, they have a lot of good music. A couple of their early albums are fantastic. But uh, what tour was that for? It was for X and Y. It's you. That's why it's in my top 50. But yeah, I, at the time, I don't know. I think I was in like third grade. I had no idea who they were. My parents were just like, well, shit, we don't know what he's into. He's in third grade. Like, what are third graders like? And my sisters liked Coldplay. So they were like, oh, you should buy Coldplay tickets. And they're like, okay. So I remember like opening the card, seeing the printed out tickets and being like, what the fuck is this? Like, I've never heard of Coldplay in my entire life. But ended up loving it. So my first concert, I remember I was about 15 or 16, and I was actually on a week-long, uh, like, religious <laughs> retreat. Is that a no, bender? better. I was on a week-long religious retreat. It was, like, lockdown, no phones. But I had, no, it was called uh, Peace Builders, the Peace Builders Initiative. <laughs> And, but I had been really wanting to go to a concert. I didn't get into music till like my freshman year. And so this is probably like a year and some months after that. And I'm like, I want to be going to shows. And I remember finding Foster the People tickets and buying tickets to Foster the People. And it was for me, my sister and two of our friends were going to go. And then realized that the date conflicted with this retreat that I had signed up for. So my parents literally like, I mean, they coordinated with one of the guys that was running the retreat, but they also uh literally like snuck me out without other people knowing in the middle of the week uh to go to this concert and then they dropped me back off like in the middle that's of the night that's so after. cool Those yeah great parents uh well, I in. i'm trying to think were they bunk beds or no i think it was just like two uh beds on two twin beds on either side of the room but i told my roommate at that about the the concert I was sneaking off to, and he's actually still an active Motel Breakfast fan. He uh, shares our stuff. I went to one of those little re religious retreats. It was a weekend with my confirmation group. It was uh, it was pretty weird. They made us walk around an empty field, and you know, like to demonstrate the the walk through the desert, and like gave Whoa. us manna. It was just crackers. Yeah. <laughs> it was so bizarre. <laughs> made us watch this weird video. Yeah, I went to a couple different religious retreats in high school. I was I was like a a youth ministry kid in yeah. high school. You were too. Yeah, yep. I did it all. Yep. There's. I'm thinking about you every day. Do you guys have 
individual like role models or music heroes that you try to emulate either in your personal like the way you play or the way that you like want the band to sound i've got a lot of personal ones like a couple that jumped to my mind right away are like jeff tweedy of wilco glenn hansard like a lot of times it'll be like a singer songwriter or a lead singer that I'm like, I like the way that you handle yourself and I like the way that you approach songwriting. Like John Prine, I love his songwriting and more. Leonard Cohen, I'm a massive Leonard Cohen fan. So I, there's a lot of singer songwriters that I try to emulate uh, and look up to, I'd say. And then like people like Jeff Tweedy are the kind of like, that's how I would like to be my lead singer self. He's super cool. Um, for me, probably never heard of him. His name's John Lennon. Uh, David Bowie was no. he was in um, Creed <laughs> oh okay yeah. yeah I actually live like not to brag uh, like 20 minutes away from Abbey Road I walk there sometimes oh okay have you taken like the stereotypical picture yet my mom may have come to visit me and she may have <laughs> taken it for me it might be hanging in my window. It just, might be on my window. I was walking across the street. She happened to take a photo. The wide Not stance. Yeah, I wrote David Bowie. And like writing wise, Pete Townsend of The Who. Because he, like, every album is just one fluid story and they're all just super bizarre. I really like Brittany Howard. I've never seen anybody like own a stage as well as she does. I don't know, she, you know, she, put, she hops on the stage and everybody's just like, okay, this is, I'm not, my eyes aren't leaving her for she commands. two hours. Yeah. She is uh, an absolute, uh, what did my sister call her? The most badass human on the planet is what my sister called her, I think, when she saw her for the first time. That. She, uh, yeah, she just owns the stage. We briefly uh, met Brittany Howard and you almost pooped her pants. Yeah, I was pretty rattled. We like saw a show and then walked out of the venue and I like almost walked into her cause she was walking to her tour bus. And I was just like, oh my God, hi. She's like, hi. I was like, then, good show. Well, no, we got like a few paces beyond and you're like, good show. And you were like shaking. I don't know what to do with myself. Those are, those are all great. Do you ever deal with stage fright or anxiety when it comes to performing? Yeah, stage fright, it's weird. I don't feel that at all. I feel more stress leading up to it, and I feel more stress of expectation when I, like, have time to sit and think. But as far as, like, actually getting up on stage, like, I remember to think about the show we did with, like, at Reggie's, the sold-out show in February that we talked about earlier. That show... I had no qualms or concerns about getting on stage in front of a few hundred people. Uh, it was just a thing and I felt very confident in. What I didn't feel good about was sitting there thinking about all the ways that I might have not catered to the people I know at the show that like wanted to see me and I didn't get to say hello to them or X, Y, Z. Like A lot of my anxieties come from expectations that I think people have of me more so than fears of not being able to like perform. I, I have a very stoic face, I've been told. So I don't smile a ton. So a lot of people think I'm like angry while I'm playing. Or bored. Or bored, yeah. Bored out of your mind. But <laughs> we, we try to crack a smile out of him. 
wants to show if we can get it. What about hobbies outside of making music? Connor is our uh, chef extraordinaire that we like to cook. I was furloughed for like three months during this quarantine and did nothing but just Top Chef recipes. And I was watching Top Chefs on Hulu. So I'd watch Top Chef and then I'd see something. And I'd be like, well, I'm gonna try to do something like that. And I, I, I like to cook a lot. Other hobbies, I don't know if I have many. <laughs> collect anything, stamps, coins. And if you would consider vinyl. Yeah. Records, yeah, I, I do. I've got some some like rare ones that I've like sought out and found. Yeah, um, you do. I don't think really anything else. What are your hobbies? Ooh. Um, <laughs> Look, this interview, we're turning this around. Shit. Uh, <laughs> I walk a lot. I'll like walk and listen to music or I make collages in Photoshop. That's my hobby. Okay. My thing. Other than this. This is my <laughs> hobby, I guess. This is like the side passion project. What's a skill that you would like to acquire at some point that you don't have already? I wish I could sing like well. I could sing fine, but I wish I could sing like well. That'd be very cool. I have like a pruner voice. I was gonna say I was trying to think of the guy who wrote short people's name. Randy Mellon. And I know it was an R. No, I almost said Ray Romano voice. <laughs> We've covered My Way by Frank Sinatra twice. It's like perfect rhythm. He does well again. And that is like, I my range is like that big if I even have one. And then, you know, Jim's is, is very large. But there's like a maybe a centimeter worth of, of pitches I can stay within sound fine. For me, I think I'd like to get really good at cooking. Like I've started to like be okay at cooking. I'd like to be like really good, like kind of where you're at, but even further. If I, I'm, I'm gonna aim high, I'd like to be really good at that. I'd like to be really good at uh, piano so that I can very comfortably write songs on there whenever I choose. I'd like to be, I'd like to be good at running. I'd like to run a marathon someday. Sure. I'd like to just not hate running. Like, I'd like to just not hate every second of it. Because I do it, <laughs> but I don't enjoy any of it. I'd also like to be, like, it'd be super cool if I was, like, a really good golfer. Like, I'm just a mediocre golfer, which is fine. You know, better than the average person, I would say. But for a golfer, not very good. Like, if I were to consider myself an actual golfer, I'd be at the bottom. How are you at mini but, golf? Oh, dynamite. That's all it counts. I'm shooting if it's 18 holes, I'm shooting 18. Every time, hole in one. You you wanna you wanna test that out? You wanna put money on that? Okay. You go hit the links, the mini links. Um, okay, well that was the end of those questions. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Who's your favorite band or musician? Oh my god. That's or like I don't know if you I can can't pick that. one. What about like a person you're just listening to a ton right now? Ooh. Well, I used to say my favorite band was Always. Um, Ooh, good And band. then they're really good. And I found them in like 2015 before they got popular. And now and then they toured with the National and everybody fucking loves Always. And I feel not original enough by saying that's my favorite band. But right now, 
through this podcast and like the blog I have, I've discovered a couple really good bands that I've been listening to. Um, Hail Acre from the UK and then Marlin's Dreaming from New Zealand. So those are probably what I've listened to the most right now. So you guys released your album, your first debut self-titled album in February. And then you just couldn't help yourselves. You had to go back and make self-produce another six songs um, and six music videos that just came mm-hmm. out on, on Friday, um, October 16th. Is there anything else you'd like to promote right now? Is that covered? No, definitely. We're just, so we really want to get more people to, we're very proud of the album that we made in February, which was finished recording in like July of last year, I'd say. So we had enough time to be kind of antsy. So we're uh, highly encouraged people to listen to that. It's a good primer of like, a like it's intentionally like, front to back like a full artistic project and then left on deming the ep that we're finishing uh the release of now uh it was just a bunch of songs we were excited about and we wanted to put out new music and new arrangements that all could kind of sit on their own like we kind of started as a singles project was the idea like we don't know what album two is going to look like but all these songs feel like different and have their own life so some of them we were considering putting on the album too and then we just we were like, there's really not room for them. So we still like them. Yeah, like it wasn't a song that we wanted to just let get tossed out. So I'd say to to listen to uh, the Motel Breakfast debut album and listen to Left on Deming, you're going to get a pretty good picture of what the band in its current state is and where we go from here. Who knows? Cool. Right here. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Karina.